And if you don't have a culture that and a, and a people strategy that keeps people grounded in your business, then they are going to leave and go look for something else. Welcome to the She Can Systemize podcast. I'm your host, Taryn Rochelle, your girlfriend with the systems plan. Just like you, I wear many hats. As a mom of two, CEO and founder of the Socialized Style Co. and reoccurring conference speaker, it is my mission to not only build my business around my life, but to help you do so as well. And how do I help you do this? Systems, of course. This podcast is here to help you infuse systems in your business and your personal life so we can ditch the overwhelm and feel in control. So it's time to pop in those AirPods, listen while you work, or relaxing with a glass of wine or my go-to, an espresso martini, and buckle up because we're about to turn chaos into confetti in your life because yes, you can systemize and I am here to help you do it. She can systemize. I am your host, Taryn Rochelle, and I am joined by Kira. Um, She has a decade of experience in people operations in the corporate world and is no stranger to the sensitive issues involved in the human side of running a business. There's a lot to learn from hiring, onboarding, training, and managing the performance of over 500 employees for a multi-million dollar business. Kira founded Paradigm to bridge the gap between corporate HR policies and the modern needs of entrepreneurs. Because Google might have almost all the answers, but it doesn't have what your unique business needs. That is where Kira comes into play. So thank you so much for joining me on She Can Systemize. Yes, I'm so excited for this. I know before that we even started recording, we were like already into so much like nitty gritty. So I've found my people once again. (laughs) I know that like always happens when I'm recording a podcast. I'm like, I should just hit record like right when someone (laughs) joins. Even if I'm not going to like fully start there, because there's always so much that we chat about, like when we're first getting to know each other, especially because some of my guests like me and Kira are just meeting now of being doing this recording. So the, the best thing about the online world is finding people that you vibe with. So I'm super excited to have you here. Um, for anyone who maybe doesn't know you, can you explain more about what you do and how you help people in the, the online space? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's it's kind of an awesome thing that people don't quite understand where HR and people operations fit into our space uh, because there's so much room for us and why it's contributed to us having success over the years is that we get to kind of bring awareness to the power that HR can have in your business. And I think my main thing is just every decision that you make in your business, especially when it involves other people, is either going to cost you money or it's going to make you money. And when it comes to people, it is like, I mean, 10x, whatever it could be if you were just by yourself. Um, And then you start to think about people's feelings, their emotions, their opinions, their skill sets. And it's just such a deep well of things that you have to consider in order to make sure that you're really implementing the right strategies for the people in your business. And we've been so lucky to work with almost 70 entrepreneurs. Hopefully by the time this comes out, we will have hit that number um, over the last three years. And so we've seen the impact that having just the right, even one or two people in your business can double, triple your revenue, increase your quality of life, um, have more fun at your job, and just generally the reward that comes from kind of sharing that knowledge through 
all the shiz that I've been through over the years with different personalities and different people. Um, it's just, it's fun. And I think bringing that opportunity has been such a rewarding part of this business that I wasn't, I didn't even know that I was going to be able to do that because my background in traditional small business, which is, you know, about 50 employees, so different than what we're talking about in the online space usually, and corporate it was accepted that your HR people and your people ops people and your manage- managers are and your manager educators are making a huge difference. But in the online space, it's overlooked. And it's such a like secret little niche that a lot of businesses could benefit from almost within a few minutes of learning about what we do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me coming from a retail background and about to go into, you know, corporate of retail before I had my daughter, you know, we had big HR company, HR departments, you know, training, everything like that. I did all of the hiring for every single store that I worked at once I was in management. And, you know, that was a big part of those companies because, you know, it's building the morale. It is building also the client experience, the customer experience of who you hire, how you train them, how everyone also gets along with each other affects how you show up for your customers that are walking through that door. If you have a bunch of people that don't gel well together, working at Forever 21 in a busy store already, you know, that's already going to cause chaos and cause confusion for those customers that are coming in and isn't going to make them want to swipe their credit cards at the at the counter. So all of that, you know, from my background in retail and in retail management, I think that is why I have the certain mentality that I do about hiring people and about not having wanting to have a revolving door of people that are coming into my business because I want to build those relationships and I want to make sure that I'm building a good morale in my business and that the people that are coming in to work with me and work for me are also the right people that I want to be attached to the name of my business, which is a big deal in the online space because, you know, the online space may be big, but it also is small at the same time because word travels and word travels fast. Um, And so I think that's where being very careful on how and who you're hiring is important. So I was really excited when um, I found Kira and wanted to have this conversation um, because I know it's going to be important for a lot of people. So um, I think like the number one question that I know a lot of people listening maybe have or maybe don't know that they should be asking themselves is the difference in hiring like a subcontractor and having a bunch of subcontractors on your team as opposed to having part-time or full-time employees. Can you explain what that difference is and and how you should really be thinking about it in your head when thinking about bringing on a team? Yes, absolutely. And I know that we are at, I don't want to spend all day talking about this, although I absolutely could. Um, So I do, I have an episode that deep dives into it on my podcast. So I'll make sure and share that with the audience here too, so that if this is something they're super interested in, then they can pop over and go super deep. Um, But the fact of the matter is that whether you're hiring a contractor or an employee is not really going to be your choice. It's going to be the it's going to be dictated by the laws in which you live or the state that you live as well as where the person that you're hiring lives. And that does there is a different conversation about international 
contractors and employees as well. But I think for the most part, if we're just going to stick to talking about US-based employers, there are so many talented people here in the US that you can almost always find somebody and then you can move into the you know, kind of realm of figuring out how to classify them. But most people are doing it that way, which is I'm going to hire someone. I want them to be a contractor. So I'm going to make a job description and post it. Well, within that three-part little step-by-step that we just said, there's already mistakes. And I'm going to just throw them out there. And that if you decide that you want to hire a contractor because that's what you're ready for, then you don't need a job description. What you need is a summary of what you want this person to do and a good Facebook post. Because realistically, contractors are easy come, easy go. We want to respect the fact that contractors like you and I are business owners and we don't want to treat them as employees. Because if we are going to treat them as employees, then they deserve extra benefits. So why? And then we as business owners get to ask more from them too. So when it comes to hiring, if you're just like hopping into this space, there's very few online businesses where the first person that you ever outsource to is going to be an employee. That's actually not even outsourcing. We call that insourcing. And that's because it's basically expanding the bubble and the reach of your business through your, your, I mean, I call it like a broadband. So like how much you can actually handle your capacity as a business owner, all of those things are going to be brand new to you. So generally speaking, if this is a first hire, you're just jumping in. Most businesses are going to do just fine with hiring a contractor that's a specialist and expert that you can vet that's going to bring an expert skill set and take some things off your off your plate. The place where I see people making mistakes in this area is especially when hiring a contractor is when they're looking for the cheapest possible option. So they're equating their readiness for bringing someone onto their team or into their business as their budget. And I'm going to have to ruin a bunch of people's day by saying that employees are often a lot more affordable than contractors, especially if you're getting a contractor that can really deliver on what they're promising, the experts in their field, the people that are really getting you to go from A to B using their skill set without much management or oversight from you. So it is kind of a quality over quantity thing sometimes. And I think if you're able to make a really solid investment in your first contractor with a very specific expert skill set, then that sets you up for the right mentality moving forward with anyone that you hire to be on your team or adjacent to your team. I like to think of contractors as like bubbles that are kind of connected outside the bubble of my business where our employees are bringing us it, they're brought into my bubble and my bubble is just getting bigger. So I think when it comes to on the second part of that question, when it comes to employees, there are going to be some positions in your company that are going to require you to have an employee. And they're it may not be talked about enough or it may be talk, spoken about really incorrectly. And so when I throw out this information, I sometimes get some pushback from spe- specifically coaches that have been doing business a certain way for a certain period of time because they want their people to have an easy come, easy go when it comes to scaling and getting people on their team. Um, there's so many amazing coaches out there, but I do get pushback from some coaches. I get pushback from people that are really scared to hire employees. It's become a big thing when it, it totally doesn't have to be. Businesses have survived on having employees for a long time for a reason. Um, 
And I'll get a little bit of pushback from those that have contractors on their team that they really love working with, but they may be mistreating or misclassifying. And there are solutions for all of those problems. So the nice thing, and I think the thing about employees is that just make sure that you understand the laws in your state. Make sure you're getting support from, sometimes it's an attorney, but usually it's an HR person. I know that a lot of our partners are attorneys because they're like, we don't want to deal with all that stuff. Like, go talk to Kira. She'll do a free consult. Um, But once you kind of get into that zone, we can actually tweak and adapt whatever help you need in your business based on what it is that's going to make the biggest impact. And then we assign their classification and you go from there. Um, But I see a lot of people holding back their business because they want them to be a contractor. So they're tweaking what they really need for their business to fit into the box of a contractor. And it's really, it's hard to see, but then it's super fun when they finally work with us and we get to see the impact that's made when they're spending less money, having a more focused person and someone that they really enjoy leading and managing for the first time. So I know that's a really long-winded question. Tried to keep it short and sweet. There's tons of information about the laws in the in the other episode and we can dive into that here too if you want to. But I think for the biggest thing, it's use those contractors the way they treat, I say treat freelancers the way you want to be treated. They have their own businesses. They have their own goals. They have their own rates. They have their own contracts. Fall into line with the experience that your contractors are giving you. But if you want to create an experience and you want to be really specific about what somebody's bringing to the table, then you have to start to prepare to have an employee, which sounds scary, but it's honestly really fun. And most of the businesses that we work with, it's the best and most rewarding part about having a team. It's their favorite part about having a team and being a CEO. And it usually helps those businesses last a lot longer than they would have if they didn't take that chance. Well, I think too, just like what you said of, you know, I see a lot of times in the online space or, you know, on these Facebook posts is we're expecting everything under the sun for a contractor that we're bringing in and wanting to pay them very little for what they are doing or bringing to the table. And, but then on the flip side of that is also, I know a lot of people in the online space have been burned by subcontractors, have been burned by people that have they brought in and have been, you know, expecting something, but then not getting that result that, you know, was promised by the subcontractor, whether it's, you know, handling their email inbox or, you know, anything like that. And then it's just like, that's just like fallen to the side. But I think that's where expectations you know, come into play from both sides of things of like making sure you are both on the same page and both understanding each other's boundaries and expectations. And that is very clear. Um, And also, like you said, where contracts come into place, like if you guys are not having contracts with people that are in your business, whether it is clients, contractors, obviously employees, like you guys need to be getting contracts. Um, This is not legal advice. I'm not a lawyer. Um, But this This is just sound business advice to have a contract because, you know, making it very clear on what expectations are. And then two, that way they can make sure that this is aligned for them and that you can make sure it's aligned for you. But, you know, these vague Facebook posts that I see all the time, like, you know, even if it is a a summary that you are putting out there for a contractor, it still needs to be very clear on what you are needing help with. You know, we're not just like, you know, I need a virtual assistant. Okay. Like that's it. That's all I'm seeing in the post. Like drop your comments of of your, of your website. You know, it's like, that's not, you're not going to get the person that you need for your team or for, you know, to be helping you with these tasks. You're not going to get the right person 
with very vague information. It needs to be clear enough where you're going to get the inquiries for this position or, you know, for this subcontractor that you're looking for, you know, that you're going to get a good amount of people that are, that could fit in that role um, and not have just a bunch of million different inquiries. And then only five of them are people after you have sifted through all of them. That's just a big old waste of your time and a big waste of their time as well. Um, So when, when it comes to this and like, when people are kind of like having this revolving door of situation of like subcontractors coming in and out or even employees coming in and out because of maybe not setting your team up team up for success what are some things that can happen by having this revolving door in your business that can maybe negatively affect your business in the long run oh my gosh that is such a good question um well i think the main thing is that You can, I want to empower people to know that they can get expert support for whatever they need. And so the revolving door of experts can be really valuable if you're planning for that. Um, I think when we start to get into the the negative effects of having different people coming into your business, the consequences are often something that you didn't necessarily see until after we fix the problem. So the example that I'll give is we have had quite a few clients that have had really amazing businesses. And over the last three years since COVID, um, we've had a lot of businesses starting to realize that the way that they were kind of stacking subcontractors on top of each other was opening up a lot of issues in regards to their intellectual property being exposed to a lot of people. Um, And it wasn't necessarily, I think at a certain point, there isn't, we can protect our IP all we want, but people are going to learn and grow and develop from us as educators and as business owners. So there may be situations in which our people might take off and go off in a different direction and cultivate a business doing exactly what we do. And if we're doing that once or twice through mentorship or tactful employee hiring or you know, things that we're doing on purpose, I think it's a beautiful thing because you're creating people that are not really your competition. You are setting the standard and that means that your rates are going to go higher. So it's not a bad thing to create really educated people. But when you have contractors, you're not in charge of developing them. You're not in charge of mentoring them. They're actually just getting access to your materials and they're able to repurpose and use those with very little risk and very little kind of repercussion, depending on what the IP is that you're using. So, you know, I've recently had some pretty awkward IP issues with clients that have taken every single one of my programs and are now offering ridiculously priced services, teaching what I teach without the compliance aspect, because they're not qualified to teach that part. And that's a huge, that's our secret sauce. You know, like we can do compliance in all 50 states, which no other business can um, in our space. So it's really interesting because it causes, you know, you have to have these really professional and upfront conversations with people that you've been teaching for many years. And those are clients that have signed things. We can hold them accountable to our IP. We can hold them accountable to our relationships and our referral partnerships and all of that. But if I have contractors coming in that I barely have a relationship with and they're getting all that same information, what's to stop them? They don't have a big business that they're putting at risk for having a bad reputation. Um, There's not the same motivation to have a bunch of people in your business getting access to all your juicy stuff, getting access to your brain. You may be even spending time, energy, and 
attention developing them and you know maybe not even on purpose just because as people we want to support others and we're not going to be able to protect our IP as clearly and it's not going to be we're not building our own brand we're just building an industry around our brand that other people are going to be able to take and reappropriate um and it really sucks and it's also something that should be super conscious so that you can have productive conversations if you have a revolving door of people coming in then you can't have those productive conversations with all those people if they're dropping in this tidbit or that tidbit or whatever so ip is kind of like right on the tip of my tongue right now just because of things going on behind the scenes of my business but other things too is just and this is what we talk about all the time It's just straight up cost. If you have a specialized employee, meaning somebody coming into your business and learning something really special that you do, um, for example, the law says that if somebody is delivering on the day-to-day operations of your business, meaning like somebody that's working in fulfillment or somebody that's really doing like the back-end management of operations every single day of your business, then they have to be an employee. So if you have an employee that comes into that business and learns the way that you're doing things and the law identifies them as an employee, but also if they're delivering on day-to-day of your business, that's just an employee because that's where their time needs to be going and we want their attention. We want their undivided attention. Then that means that we are going to have to replace that employee eventually. And if you have a revolving door of a person that's taking that type of work off your plate, it can cost up to 400% their annual salary to replace them, not only in time, energy, and effort, but also in the fact that generally one in three people don't work out. In the online space, it seems, and especially if you have really good strategy, our numbers tend to be a lot lower, um, one in five around there, um, which is really great. And we're changing that because our focus is so much on culture. But in general, in the world, the accepted number is one in three people don't work out. So that means that you're incorporating that into 400% their annual salary, even if they only work for you for six months. So if they're fully entrenched in their job, you're going to be spending way more money replacing them, training them, being stressed out about what they're doing, paying other people to come in, not to mention all the effort that you put into training and developing them. And if you don't have a culture that and a, and a people strategy that keeps people grounded in your business, then they are going to leave and go look for something else. And I'm not saying this as a blanket statement because we have actually designed nine different employee types and only a couple of them are going to be those employee types that are going to be on the run. But even identifying what type of employee you're hiring prior to bringing them in, you can still bring people in that you know are going to be kind of a revolving door. Maybe they're going to last three to six months. But just making sure that you have that solid culture, communication, and people strategy on the back end of how your business is running that's contributing to what they're doing every day, then you can cut that number down a lot. And you can create an expectation that you're not going to be losing money every time you replace this role. And it's still delivering an ROI for every hire that you make. Most of the time, your first employee or your first contractor is probably not going to do that for you. It's usually a Band-Aid on a bullet hole. But after you've tried a couple times, start thinking about what it looks like to have a people strategy because that is going to be the key that catapults your business. Yeah, and I think where a lot of people make a mistake in this in preparing their business for you know a contractor that's coming in or an employee is not having their process of different tasks and stuff documented that is specific for your business and prepared for that person. That's 
that's one setting that person up for success. If you have a specific way. So for me at the time of recording this, I'm going to be bringing in someone to help me with my podcast and with my community management and things like that. And I have specific ways that I handle my podcast and how I handle guests. And that is specific and tailored to my brand. And I have this documented in SOPs, in Tango workflows. And I have this prepared so then when this person is coming in, they can see exactly the way that I currently am doing things. Yes, they may have ideas for things that we may morph into this you know, genius idea, but I'm coming to the table with this structure. And also this helps me protect myself if, you know, God forbid this person doesn't work out and I need to bring in someone else, I'm not going to feel like a fish out of water and be like, oh, well, this person has all of my, you know, all of my information of how, how they are handling my podcast, because I am giving them all of the reins. I'm not bringing myself into this. Like I'm taking myself too much out of it and giving it all to them to do. And then when they, if, and when they leave, then I feel overwhelmed. And now I don't know how to complete this task. I don't know how to schedule guests on my podcast because they have created the process for it and I don't have that. So when you come to the table with that or you continue to document your SOPs, your process for things, that helps you you know, feel in control of your business, whether it is, you know, someone that is coming in as an as an expert in something. And even if you are hiring an expert, you should still be having a set way of how you are doing things. But obviously, like keeping in mind that they may have their own process for things. But that's, again, where that communication of expectations comes into play. But making sure that you have your process outline, that you have these you know, wherever you keep your SOPs at, whether that's in ClickUp or Google Docs or wherever you like to keep them, have a place where you keep these that you're always updating them. But remember to start this before you hire someone. Everyone always comes to me. I'm like, oh, I don't need SOPs because I don't have a team. Like, I'm sorry. No, like we need SOPs before we have a team. Um, And while we have a team and after we have a team, like they should always be happening throughout your business your SOP is, you know, just your process for completing a task. So, you know, what's your process for getting guests scheduled on your podcast? You need an SOP for that. Like every single task that you do in your business needs to have a process. And I think that's where a lot of people like struggle when they hire someone or bring someone onto their team as they don't have that prepared. They don't, they bring in, they bring in team members when they feel that overwhelm and that stress of I'm doing too many things. So I'm going to bring in someone. And when I bring in them, it's going to, the overwhelm's going to go away. They're going to clean up my entire business and I'm going to feel great. Yes, that could maybe happen if you set them up for success. But if we don't set them up for success, you're not going to see that return on investment they're going to feel overwhelmed, morale's down, no one wants to work with each other, and then they're going to leave. And then here's this revolving door of people coming in and out of your business constantly, you know, seeing your intellectual property. And I I love that you mentioned too, that like, you know, if you're mentoring, like I mentor people in the systems industry, and I'm putting my time and effort into them, because I want 
to see a change in the systems industry. I, I want them to get this intellectual property because I, I want them to grow in their business and to thrive in their business in a way that's aligned to their personal life. And I feel like that's where a lot of people in the systems industry goes go wrong. And instead of me just sitting back and seeing the systems industry the way it is, I'm putting myself into it and I'm mentoring people. So I'm choosing to have it be that way. But like you said, that's not the same of having a contractor come in that we're giving all this intellectual property and training them. Like I've done this in the past. I've made this mistake in the past of pouring everything into someone, training them how to do something, and then them going off and like you said, making something on their own. And, you know, that wasn't the plan. This wasn't a mentorship program or coaching. You know, this was someone that I was wanting to bring in to help me with my business. But instead, you know, my business didn't get helped. And then they tried to do something on their own. So I think that's too where, like we talked about earlier, people feeling like, well, they've gotten burned in the past. And I had someone bring a question to me in my mentorship program that I'd love to pose to you to see your thoughts on. But if, if someone were to work with someone, say for an agency, we see agency models popping up left and right right now. So if someone were to go into an agency model, if, if someone had an application up for an agency model and someone was in the systems industry or in an industry that fit that agency model, like legally, how does that work of someone going in and working with that agency model if they still have their own business too. So if we're in the systems industry and we're working with an agency to help with systems, and then you're still offering system builds on your own, you know, intellectual property, that's where my brain went when this question got posed. It's like, oh, like, I don't know about that because I'm like, you're going and working for someone's agency, but then, you know, building your own system builds on the side, I feel like intellectual property could easily get moved over. And I think it could get pretty gray. Like, what are your views on that? Or how do you see that, especially with so many agencies coming up right now? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think especially in the systems industry, it's really nuanced because it's not like you as a systems pro own the tech. So it's not like you can specifically say, these are all my methods or, you know, whatever, because there's a lot of education out there for it. So and I think a lot of, of your listeners and a lot of people in the online space can totally relate to that. And coaches, especially, you know, like a lot of people, some people can start coaching and some have training and some don't and they bring different people into their business and some things are great and some things are bad. And then they go off and, you know, whatever, we can't control it. But I think what it what it really comes down to is even, and this, I want to, you mentioned a couple things so far that I want to come back to, which is control and uh, the SOP discussion. So the first one, and I think it feeds into this question, so bear with me, um, but the SOP discussion um, in particular, we do see people that hold back from hiring a lot because their back end of their business is messy. But it's a catch-22 because sometimes you have to bring people into a mess in order to make sure that you can get it cleaned up. Otherwise, it's just always going to be a mess and you're never going to get help or you're going to keep putting Band-Aids on a bullet hole. In which case, I would always say, okay, well, let's talk about quality over quantity here. Like we need to spend some money. We need to make an investment to make sure that you can feel comfortable bringing someone in. That also means – that's also going to feed into – 
the hiring strategy, which the second part is the control. So if we want to have control over what people are doing with their time, whether they're at work or not at work, then they need to be an employee. So control is a key word there. When they're working, how they're working, how they're spending their time, what they're doing when they're not working, those are all employee characteristics, which tells me that if people are starting to build agency models, they're going to want to make sure that they're bringing people in that want to be employed by them. So that's a different personality. And that's where hiring strategy and people operations really comes into play because how you're going to find the person that fits into that role is going to be based on how you market the role, how you build the role and what you want them to do and their upward trajectory and their upward mobility. So those things, it doesn't mean that you have to build a role with upward mobility. It doesn't mean that you have to build an, an employee role that is going to Um, change the world or something like that. It can just be something as simple as I want to make sure that I have control over how you're spending your time. We have a mutual trust. Whatever I'm getting from you is bringing ROI into my business in very for sure ways because I can control all of these factors. So then I don't really care what you do outside of our business. Because what do I care? I'm making ROI. You're my employee. Like We're good to go. We've made an agreement that you may be like part of our agreement of you coming in is that you're working part time and you're also getting your own clients on the side. If that's okay with you as a business owner, then then that's your decision to bring them on. But if it's not okay with you, then we need to talk about your actual hiring strategy and what that person is doing in your business. So I think another mistake that people are making, especially when it comes to this conversation, is just simply about understanding that you get to hire who you want. So if you don't want somebody that has their own business, we can find you somebody that doesn't have their own business. You will train them and you will develop them and you will make them into exactly who you want and it will be the most amazing thing ever, um, but most of the time. Um, but especially in small business, it's it's I would push you a little bit to say like, do you really want that or are you just not confident that you are going to be able to compete with this person if they did go out on their own? And we need to build the job around what you need and not around the person that already knows how to do what you're talking about. There are hundreds and thousands of people out there that you don't know exist. And that can be really hard. I had a light bulb moment talking to a client the other day um, because, spoiler alert, most of the time when we do our kickoff calls with our clients that are building out their people strategy and starting to hire team members, um, their job that they think is going to be their first hire absolutely isn't. And I know that after our initial discovery call, who it might start to look like, but it isn't until our kickoff call where we start to see light bulbs go off and we know what questions to ask and we can build the role around the person. That's why I can't tell every single systems agency owner who their first hire is going to be because every single agency owner is different. And if you leave yourself or you push yourself aside in order to fit into a box of something else for your business, then you're going to find people that are trying to fit into a box that doesn't, it isn't aligned with who you are and it's going to burn you out. And that's where you're going to start to see that revolving door because there isn't a common thread connecting the purpose of what people are doing every day with the work that they're doing every day. And it's not fun. Like if it's fun, we're going to do it. And if as for women business owners, we got to be able to have something that's going to get us up in the morning after our kids been throwing up all night or our dog had to have surgery or our husband's being freaking annoying and doesn't know how to load the dishwasher. So like we have to have something that feels good to participate in for us in order to spread that to other people. And I think that it comes down to that strategy. And you one thing that I think holds people back a little bit is they can't picture the person in the role. So they don't think they exist. 
So we start to see people that will find someone that they think might fit in the role, and then they start to see the possibilities of what that could look like. And oftentimes people will come to us and they'll want to move one of their treasured contractors over to an employee position, and that's why they're hiring us to get all their compliance in place and stuff like that. And then they realize, oh my gosh, I can ask for so much more out of this role for half the price, but I just have to abandon the idea of it being that person. And so people will get like once they picture it, you can start like I would just you know if you're listening to this and this is something that's resonating with you, just think about like remove all the people from your mind that you think could help you with the role that you think might exist in your business. And instead, just write down some of the things that you would like to not do anymore. And we will absolutely be able to help you find somebody that can fit in those roles. Um, And that's when those SOPs come in because they don't have to be perfect. But that's what I love about Tango is that we just – it's not 100% perfect every time, but it's pretty damn close. So if you can just set aside – if you're creating your training schedule for your first employee and you just load up Tango and you set aside two hours and you say, okay, I know I'm going to be training them on all these topics that I came up with in our job description. All All of those things are also bringing me ROI because Kira helped me make KPIs for them. Um, but if I'm able to just sit down with Tango and go through each of these processes for two hours to contribute to that training schedule, you're already five steps ahead of half the business owners out there that are just slapping a bandaid on a bullet hole and they're not getting anywhere. And it also gives you a lot, not having everything perfect builds a bond between you and your employee in that there's trust and there's creativity and there's a way for them to step into a role in your business. No matter who that first person is, they're going to have to kind of understand your back end operations. So being able to bring them in, I love when our our clients will have like a systems person that they've worked with in the past and they'll book an hour to have them walk their client or walk their new employee through their system so they can truly understand it. Like there's so many things we can do. If you know what's out there, you can get creative, but don't hold yourself back by trying to create a job role that is scary. I mean, I wouldn't, I would totally freak myself out if I've never hired anyone before. And then I'm trying to justify bringing someone in that's going to be having clients on the side. How does that even work? Like, I don't want to think about, I don't want to do that. I'm not doing it. Like my interview with my employee, Kylie, it's another podcast. I, the, one of the first things I asked her, she was consulting for HR on the side. And I was like, I don't want a consultant. Like, will you give that up? And she said, without hesitation, absolutely. I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be an employee and I love your business and I love your mission. and I love your values and I want to work for you. And I'll give up any client that I need to give up. And that was really important for me. She was the perfect fit employee. And but if she wanted to consult, it wouldn't have been a good fit for me. And I think that we need to let ourselves be okay with, you know, drawing a line in the sand, be okay with being like, nah, I don't want that. Like, it's it's fine. It's not mean. Like, it's totally it's just being a business owner, you know, (laughs) it's the same with like your clients, you know, it's like, figuring out what you want in a client and what you don't want in a client, you know, and being, like you said, drawing that line in the sand and being crystal clear and being okay with that. Like it is okay to say no to a lead. Like it is okay. And a lot of people have a hard time with that. And especially obviously in like the beginning of our businesses, sometimes we have to work with a good amount of people to, you know, get our feet wet in what we're doing. But you know, when you get to a point where you can say no, it is such like a a liberating feeling and it leaves room and space for the people that you can and want to say yes to, especially to then for people that you bring in to work with you, to work with your team. You know, we, I don't want people in positions or with my company that 
we just don't vibe right. Like everyone knows that knows my brand, like vibe is like my thing. Like I don't call discovery calls, discovery calls. I call them vibe checks. I am all about just making sure we vibe together. Yeah. Because like it is, it's so important for me that we mesh well together. And whether it is a client, whether it is a contractor, an employee, I want to make sure that we vibe well together because I want to have that kind of relationship with them. And, you know, most of my clients, like we end up as friends afterwards, like we have a great relationship afterwards. I'm the first person that comes to mind, like you said, to come and teach their team for the system that we set up. The first person that comes to mind for, you know, referring me to someone else when someone else needs a Dubsado build. So it is so important. And I want that same thing for people that come and work with me that are like, if I have a position out there and people are like, hey, like I know someone that would be great because either they have worked with me or they've seen my brand and my business and they know that the morale will be perfect and the vibe will be perfect for that person. And so I think it's like getting in that mindset of like that it's okay to put that line in the sand. It's okay to Mm -hmm. say no. It's okay to, you know, it's your business. You know, this is, this is what you set out to do. This is what you created and you have a, a vision for your business. You do, whether you maybe Mm -hmm. think you do or not, we all do like that's, you know, we started our business. We had a vision for this. So make sure that you're bringing in people that fit in that vision that fit Mm -hmm. in there. And then if people don't, then it's okay to part ways. You know, like you said, some people may not work out and that is okay. Um, One thing I wanted to touch on about this, which leads into this is about, you know, the professionalism or like relation relationship building within whether they are subcontractors or employees, which, you know, could be where the differentiator is here in this question, but like how to keep like work relationships friendly, but so that boundary of like that you're the CEO in your business. And I feel like, you know, with subcontractors, you're, you both have your own businesses. Um, so mm-hmm. that could be where that, that differentiator is, but how do you, any tips on like, you know, keeping that separate? Cause for me, like I said, I like to have a great relationship with people that I bring in, whether it's clients or team members. Um, but especially for team members, I just want to make sure that like, you know, they remember too that like this is my business. Um, and you know, I do, you know, if there's a task that needs to get done, like it needs to get done, kind of a thing. So, how do you have that that work relationship balance or any tips you suggest for people? Yeah. Oh my gosh, this is such a good question. And I think it really does come down to number one, just realizing that there are so many ways to be a manager. And when you start to hire people, you are a manager, whether you like it or not. Like, I think we have an ad out right now that's like, want to be a good manager without giving people the manager ick? Because there, it is possible to do that. And um, I think that it's it can be really challenging, especially if you haven't managed in the past to know like what that's supposed to look like and also carve out your authority as a leader in your space. And the number one thing I, I just always want to encourage people, whatever type of manager you are, you are the right manager for your company. So there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. It's just about finding the right people and building a culture that is complementary to that. And so we have a quiz and I would love it if everyone would take it and then share their results with me because I love seeing like because it was like built around like all this organizational psychology stuff. It's just seven questions, 90 seconds. There's five different 
managers. All of them are so different from each other. They're all designed around people that I've met, trained, worked with, all of that. Um, And once you figure out what that is, what your manager archetype is, what your people leader archetype is, then you can lean into the things that are your strengths and look out for the things that might not be. And then you can weave that in to your job descriptions. You weave that into your company policies and culture so that when you are at a place where you're interviewing people, they've already responded so passionately about your job post. They've already, the people that aren't going to be a good fit for your style are going to whittle themselves out. They're going to move on. They're not just like we kind of talked about a little bit offline. If you're doing your marketing right, you're going to meet people that that vibe with you. And then interviews really truly do become about the vibe check, especially for those first couple of hires, because it's super important for you to feel comfortable and that you can be yourself when you're first learning how to step into a leadership role on your team. And so being able to actively articulate what you need from your people is a skill that you learn over time. You're not supposed to know how to do that, but we can't tell everyone to do the exact same thing because everyone's bringing something different to the table. We might have within even the same business, two totally different types of managers that are going to approach things in two totally different types of ways. But whoever the CEO is and whoever built the culture for the company, it doesn't mean that you're only hiring a certain type of personality. Those are two different types of behaviors. And we talk about this a lot in people operations and in learning and development, which is a subset of HR, um, is that you can the behaviors that you that you exhibit or that you show other people doesn't necessarily reflect exactly who you are or what you're capable of. So being a manager is really about drawing out both of those things and under, understanding the line between each of them. And you can build really amazing, friendly relationships with your team members, which is kind of like the only thing that keeps me going um, on a day-to-day is my amazing team members, both in, I work as a full-time COO one day a week, and I have a team of 50 people. I've been there for 10 years. It's more of a partnership type of role now. Um, but I manage, my my main responsibility is managing a team of very high-performing managers and directors. So I have six or seven people that are managing the rest of the team. All of them are different personalities. Just because I'm a certain type of leader doesn't mean they all have to be different, but we do have to be able to acknowledge those differences. And the way that we can kind of pull these things out of people and understand them, put our ego aside, but still be able to say, I understand that this was happening and this is not okay and this needs to change in the future. And my role as a manager is always to end a conversation trying to make there be a way forward. So these are all strategies that you can learn. It's not, I know it feels like there's just these big bubbles in the air of like, how do I make a person do a thing that I want them to do? And it's like, well, yes, we have the job description, we have the SOPs, but what's really going to get that depth of knowledge and that high performing team And that team that's making you money is going to be how you're managing them. And we do have some managers that are going to, we call them the efficient executor, that are going to lean all the way into the SOPs. They may only, they may be super asynchronous. The SOPs make up the entire library of the back end of their business. That's how their people are trained. They're very rarely on calls. Um, They're getting stuff done. Things are direct. They're to the point. If your person isn't necessarily that type, they still can be managed by an efficient executor in a 
really efficient way. They just, in a really positive way and really getting a lot out of them, but they just have to know what to expect. So being fully yourself and embracing that part of who you are creates consistency and trust on your team. So you can show up as exactly who you are every single day. You've weeded out a lot of people along the way by doing that and by leaning into that for your company culture. So then by the time you get to that last round of interviews, you're really talking about the people that you know that you can manage, not the people that you like the best, not the people that you feel like you can control the easiest, not the people that you know can just do the job. Being able to do the tasks is only a very small percentage of what our team brings to the table. And quite frankly, you're paying them anyway. So it's your choice whether you are going to go deep and get that extra 90% out of them. And the way that you do that is through really understanding yourself as a manager and being cool with making mistakes along the way as you're figuring it out. Um, it's really fun to see like people's leadership archetypes and start to like kind of poke holes in it because not one archetype is better than another. There's one that's right in the middle. A lot of our leaders, especially women, get this archetype um, called the balanced mentor. And I think it's because we lean so much into the relationships and the collaboration and things like that. Um, but there are dark sides to that too, being right in the middle in a sense that sometimes your team doesn't always know, like that may sound like the most perfect, I'm, I got the best result, you know, that kind of a thing. But your team may not always know where you fall. You may not always take a side. You may They may not really have clarity on what it is you really want. They may sometimes just go through the motions because while they do feel safe and comfortable around you and they want to talk to you about Vanderpump Rules or whatever, they may not want to criticize you because you've built a relationship with them where they don't really want to give you feedback because they really don't want to hurt your feelings. And so being able to have those conversations, like just something so simple as, okay, feedback hour, like give me what you got like fill it out, send it in, like tell me what I need to do better. Like I'm I'm ready to hear it. That can make the biggest difference for a manager that has a collaborative relationship with their team where they really love their boss because it lets you learn from them how you can get better in a way that they're not going to be so worried about hurting your feelings. So there is not, I mean, whereas like we have the stone cold supervisor, which is like the Miranda Priestley of it all. And those people are going to be like, you can give them feedback all day and they're going to be like, got it, moving on. But then they need to see their employee that they may not be that way and they may need a little bit more enrichment. So just putting a one-on-one -on, -one on their calendar every month where they're just kind of talking about whatever is going to be the a different strategy that's going to help to bridge that gap and make it a little bit more in the center of the way that they're communicating and building trust with each other. So it's not about changing who you are. It's just accepting who you are and then building strategies on top of that to bridge the gap between who you are and what your people need in order to get, you're already paying them. Get 90% better out of it. You got this. Like, you can do it. There are strategies you can learn. You don't have to just try to, like, wing it, you know, with every tough conversation you have to have. And it's really fun and it feels like a little bit of a puzzle. And as you get better and better at it, you can have it, it seeps into those skills, seep into every area of your life from how you mediate with your kids to your family to your, you know, therapist <laughs> to, you know, everything else. You can start to see that reflection. And I think women really just need the permission to be that way because we've all been taught. This is what a manager looks like. They suck. They're manipulative. We hate them. Whatever. Like, that's not true. And like, if you think that, then you're going to try to become this horrible person that you don't like because you think that's what being a manager is. So don't listen to any of those people. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can literally, I was just like sitting here. I can listen to you talk about this stuff like all day long because I, this topic, like if you've been in my, in my community for a long time, like, you know, this topic is so 
um, important to me when it comes to, you know, hiring quality over quantity, um, because it's, it's just something that is so important for your business and to, to really think about and to, you know, not just have all of these millions of different people coming in. And yes, there is a time and place for that, like Kira said about, you know, bringing in experts, you know, bringing in a system specialist um, like me to talk to you about systems or bringing in a copywriter to, you know, help you with your sales page. Like there is a time and place to bring in a bunch of different people, but when they are specialized in certain things. And, you know, when we're talking about employees or, you know, getting an assistant and things like that, like, you know, these are not people that we want just like coming and going all the time or we should want that. And that's why this this topic is so important for me as a business owner, because, you know, our values and our mission and everything like that is like so close to my heart. And I want people that embody and really feel the same way and take our values and mission and really showcase that through their work and through how they show up when they're, you know, talking about our business and things like that. Um, because, you know, we do want to have that great dynamic with everyone. And, and I love that you have that quiz. I'm definitely going to take it. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see where I fall on things. Um, but I, I think this, this conversation is going to be so helpful for so many people. Um, and I know we could just like continue to talk about it for hours. I'm definitely going to have to have <laughs> you back on the podcast. I already have so many ideas for other episodes. Um, but uh, any like final last tips you have for anyone, just like if they're in the space of feeling like I need to, you know, feel like I need to or want to bring on someone, but not quite sure what that looks like. Um, any final tips or resources that could be helpful for them for you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the number one thing is to scale your business. If you decide that that's something you want to do, you have to be able to hire a team. So whether it's up to you, if you are going to do it, I don't want to say the right way, but there are legal things that you have to consider. And, you know, we want to, if this is something that you're doing for the long term, then having that HR strategy right up front is going to be one of the things that is super time sensitive because the people that you bring on your team help you to develop your culture. So um, if at the very least, I mean, of course, connect with me on Instagram and stuff like that. Take the quiz. It'll be really fun. I can't wait to see what everybody gets. Um, I'll have to have you on my podcast to talk about your results. I think that would be such a fun part too. Um, but also we want everybody to feel really empowered to know that you can do it without necessarily like ripping the bandaid off having a one-on-one -on -one HR support. We only do packages. We don't think small businesses need HR on retainer. So we generally work with our paradigm solution and then plug people right in, get their compliance and their culture in order and then plug people right into our membership. Um, so there is a way to do it very affordably. You don't have to hire an HR person to get all this done, um, but it sets a standard for the culture that you're going to have. And it's something that doesn't have to, HR people operations, it doesn't have to be this like blah thing. Like it's so much fun. Like we have so much, so many clients that are like, that was such a empowering and invigorating conversation when they're building out their handbooks for the first time. Um, but we do have a free resource. So if you're just getting started and you want to know what these kinds of things looks like, your handbook is going to be built specifically for you. Um, but we have a six policies that we recommend guide. So you can kind of get started on building just your, your main policies that I'm constantly referring to when it comes to legal issues with employees, when it comes to performance issues with employees 
employees, it's a really great foundation for you to write those. Um, and then, of course, like a done-for-you version in our shop, which is basically the tripwire after that um, for all you systems people. So essentially, you could have like a mini handbook done for you. Um, and you can get started for not a ton of money, making sure that you're making these good decisions. Um, and then the last thing is just, I mean, that's a pretty awesome freebie, I think, because I cannot tell you over the years how many times I've referred back to the policies that I listed there. I put in the why behind the what so you can start to kind of imagine it. But I think the big thing is just if you're on the fence, just figure out, you know, what do you want for your business? And don't overthink the HR side of it. Just think, well, I'm going to have to have a team. So just like legal, going to have to get this done. And once you kind of accept that, then you get to the fun part where you get to start working on yourself. And I think that is where the leadership and our management course come into play, which by the time this airs, it will already have been released. So you can buy it. Um, So it'll be out there evergreen, all that good stuff. But um, I think that especially if you're a systems person, this is going to come so naturally to you. Um, Systems people tend to be really great with building out the foundations for what it ends up making an amazing employer. And it also is really fun to see them kind of stretch a little. Like I love to see some people kind of stretch into the soft skills and be like, oh, like <laughs> I didn't really want to deal with that today, um, you know, or whatever the case may be. Um, but it's something, you know, when it when you become a leader, when you become a manager, you get your team stuff in order. Part of your job is to be more of who you are and to work on yourself and to really personally develop yourself the way that us as entrepreneurs are constantly challenged to do. So I think it's it's just such a I know that's a long winded answer, but it doesn't you know the barrier to entry may seem really high. But if your business needs a team, then that means you need HR. And if you need HR, it doesn't have to be terrible. So it could be fun and it could be cool. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited to hear everybody's results. And I hope everyone follows us, follows along with us and gets on our newsletter. And then um, I'll make sure and share our, on the up and up is our podcast. So it's like on the up and up because we're growing, but also on the up and up because we're like legally and like HR legit because we're not like messing around here, cutting corners. Um. <laughs> I love it. I will make sure everything is linked for you guys in the show notes so you can connect with Kira and definitely take the quiz alongside me and stay tuned for a part two episode so you guys can hear what my results are and talk with (laughs) Kira about that. I would love that. Such a great idea. Um, But thank you so much for being on She Can Systemize, Kira. I know this is going to be so helpful for so many people. Like I said, I could have just chatted for hours about this. So (laughs) this is definitely right up my alley and my cup of tea conversation. So thank you so so much, Kira. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, We'll see you guys on the next episode of She Can Systemize. Yay. (laughs) 